What am I? What is the relationship between my mind and my body? The mind-body problem is an age-older problem. One of the questions you ask yourself, are your thoughts, feelings, perceptions, sensations, and which thing that happen in addition to all the physical process in your brain? Or are they as themselves just some of those physical processes? And what about gut feeling, instant? How we can anticipate uncertainty and predict situations before it happens? Do we understand why that happened to us? So when it comes to design robots or soft robots, one of the questions we can ask, should the brain and the body evolve at the same time? Should it be designed in a supervised way or open-ended way as we have in our nature? What kind of design we should aspire for? Optimal or adaptable? One of the questions we can ask, how do these robots can function at open-ended environment and anticipate the uncertainty? What if there's damage happening to the brain or the body? How they can adapt to each other in this scenario like that? What we are still lacking in designing robots to achieve the embodied intelligence? In this series, we are going to interview researchers from interdisciplinary field to answer these questions and trying to understand what are the missing pieces so that we can achieve embodied intelligence. And what kind of tools or series we need to develop for solving the dilemma of mind-body problem. First of all, we would like to say thank you for Professor Fumia Lida for initiating the International Workshop in Embodied Intelligence, as well as this podcast series idea as a part of the workshop. It was the first time in our field to have such a great event to stitch all the leading researchers and ask the basic questions and what could be the direction for achieving the embodied intelligence. I hope you enjoy listening to this series, and here's the interview. Thank you. Well, hello and welcome to Iterbelief Superbotics Podcast. Hello, Leno. Thanks so much for joining us in Embodied Intelligence Podcast Series. Such honor to have you. Thank you, Emma, to participate. Thank you. Thank you. So I'd like to ask you first how Mm -hmm. you would like to define yourself for people maybe first time listening to you. (laughs) Uh, Well, that's super hard, right? I would define myself as a soft roboticist, uh, a student, because I'm a PhD student. I'm not yet like a a researcher or professor or whatever, but I do love to work in soft robotics. And yeah, that's mainly my field. Great, great. So maybe I'm just ask you because this is C-series. We ask, what is actually embodied intelligence? Well, if first first time while listening to you, what's actually embodied intelligence is? So uh, I think everybody has its own definition of embodied intelligence. My personal definition is it's it's a way of using the body to to offload the brain of some computation. It's a way of processing some information just by the physical body so that the brain does not have to deal with such computation. Mm -hmm. So maybe I'm just asking you you that case because I think we have this question. Should the brain and the body evolve at the same time? And what if there's damage happening to the brain? How the body can adapt or vice versa? How you can imagine that? Yeah. 
So I, uh, I strongly believe they, they, they grow at the same time. Uh, as a matter of fact, I strongly believe that uh, I mean, everybody thinks that the brain is controlling how the body is shaped. But my opinion is, is, is totally the opposite because I, if you think about biological system, our brain is basically created upon like the, 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 the senses that we have, right? The information that we're able to gather. But those information are strongly biased by the shape of our body and mm -hmm. by the, the, our, well, whatever, our senses apparatus or whatever. Meaning that in reality, it's really the body that in the first place determines how the brain would evolve. And then the brain determines how the body would evolve. So like if we, if we kind of look at nature and I think nature is a great starting point because it had like, like 10 billion years of like prototyping. We, we, we have to evolve them together. As a matter of fact, we have to account that they can influence each other and they do influence each other in a very, very strong way. We cannot detach and, and think only about the body or only about the brain. That's, mm -hmm. that's nonsense. Yeah, and what, what kind of scenario if we imagine that we have a damaged body or damaged brain, which one do you think we have to weigh more in that scenario? Like adaptation, if we have this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like what, what we see in nature, right? Is like if, if an animal is injured, uh, mm -hmm. it's, it's not like it recomputes or, the, or, or the, the task space and whatever, right? It kind of like tries to survive and and sometimes it's, it's, it's the brain, so you understand that you can no longer do given a given task and you have to improvise, or sometimes it's just the body, right? Most of our tissues can be replaced and we are hyper-redundant so that if we have some damage, most of the time we don't really even realize that we have some damage and we just keep working. Mm -hmm. And what do you think about the way we design? Do you think we have to be in optimal way or adaptable way, the way we design the morphology, if we say that the brain and the body type is? Uh, I think we have, a, we have a limitation, which is time, right? So nature didn't optimize anything. I mean, like we, we are the best possible prototypes just because natural selection and millions of fear, right? As, as human beings, we do not have a lot of time to, to actually create the, the, not the perfect, but a good enough solution. Mm -hmm. And so we have to optimize. We have to find, to, to try to avoid doing what is not strictly necessary for the task that we are trying to achieve. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, uh, a bit of randomness, uh, a bit of, uh, yeah, we, we cannot not only optimize because sometimes uh, randomness can give you a solution that you will not able to see if you just try to optimize your local space. Yeah. And when you look for the global picture, we have the brain and body. And even nature, we have some creatures, they have only the body. They can exhibit intelligence through the bodies. So do you think there's something still missing visas in picture? As our human have this gut feeling, we can, if we have everything right, but we still can anticipate this kind of uncertainty in the something would be wrong. Do you think when you see this, yeah, this element on Buddhist intelligence, do you think there's something still missing pieces beyond well, the body? Yeah, well, our, our comprehension is, 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 is lacking behind by a mile with respect to nature, right? Like we are not able, yes, we, we can do cool stuff and we can, and we can manufacture robots that can process information through the body, um, but we are nowhere close to, to the nature's level on doing the same job, right? And the thing that we do not have yet a good enough theory behind that, right? For rigid robotics, we have years and years of, of, of continuum mechanics uh, of robotics. 
with soft robotics, we really do not understand completely how it works. For example, just like calculate the deformation of a soft body, it's extremely hard with respect to a rigid body. Would you just you just do that in MATLAB in what like three seconds? Yeah. The theory, the theory behind it is missing, it's lacking. That's the biggest issue. Yeah, that's a good point. Do you think when it comes to uh, the material? Because I think that's something we discussed with other guests about how we can design the material that can have this computation for sensing and actuation. What's something you still think we have to give much attention or maybe missing in our understanding beyond what you say, or we have to give much attention so that we can achieve embodied intelligence? So I, I think, okay, so the, the, the material side of, of soft robotics is extremely important. And that is because like, it's not feasible to just scale down everything we already have. Mm -hmm. Let's suppose that I have a robotic arm and I want to make it uh, to the micro scale or like to the milli scale at least. I cannot just scale down uh, the electric motors and, and whatever because it just doesn't work, right? And so we need to come up with, with sensor and, and actuators which are way smaller, way more compact and usually that implement less, less stuff inside, like less single components inside. To do that, um, we need material scientists. Mm -hmm. And that's like soft robotics is the big chapter about robotics in which we do not only have robotics people that are good at programming and are good at making a robot do something, but we really need like material scientists. And that's why um, in a lot of collaboration, for example, for example, the smart uh, Marie Curie European project, uh, we have roboticists in the same place with material scientists because we need we need small actuators, we need small sensor that are both flexible and super versatile. Um, and so, yeah, I, well, like I believe we need them. I also believe that the roboticist does not have the knowledge necessary to actually yeah. design the material. So, like, we just borrow some of them. Yeah, yeah. So what are the challenges of work? We speak about, for example, it's interesting everyone has different perspective about intelligence. Sometimes it's the brain, how the coupling between the brain and the body, how the computation should look like according to the body. So for your work or maybe the future work, maybe in mm -hmm. general, what do you think something you found very challenging or maybe a technological roadblocks to achieve this concept? So I, I think, so obviously when somebody says computation, everybody thinks about uh, sensing, right? Mm -hmm. So I, I have, I have a, an, an input, a stimulus, and then I, I compute something mm -hmm. starting from that stimulus before um, it comes to my brain. So my brain doesn't need to do that computation. Uh, in my mind, it works both ways though, because like, for example, even if, if I want to exert a motor command, mm -hmm. um, controlling every single muscle is basically impossible. Uh, there is too much, too many degrees of freedom to actually consider. Um, what is nature is doing is you are just giving some parameters and some signal, and then your body is processing um, the entire motion by what we call muscle memory, right? So, like when you learn to to walk, you you were you were not able to do so, but right now you don't even think about it. You you just do it, right? Mm -hmm. And yeah, I mean, like the biggest challenge is to implement both systems at the same time not only pre-processing the input data, but also pre-processing your motor command before they actually arrive to, to the soft robot. Even because we know the soft robots are much harder to control than rigid robots mm -hmm. because of their morphology mainly. Yeah, I really like this point. Do you think when we have to simplify the controller? So for you, do you think, yeah, um, 
maybe the morphological computation, this approaches how we can design intrinsic controller so that we don't have to use the external one. So for your simplifications and controller, how do you see that approach? I, I think, so I, I think that there's a concept in, in neuroscience, which is called simplexity, which refers to the ability of basically any new natural being of being extremely complex in design, but extremely simple in control. The, the way we, we do action, if you, if you look at, at, a human, uh, at a human just moving, it seems super simple. Then if you consider how many sensors and how many actuators, you realize that is, this is actually pretty complex, right? It's, it's way more complex than any robot we were able to, to build so far. And th that is exactly what needs to happen. So we need to shift all the complexity that we are right now just basically keeping in the brain. Yeah. We have to shift that and make the brain much simpler because the body can just filter out like useless information. And that's, and that's why soft robotics is doing a great job at it is because for example, compliance is a big thing, right? If you have a rigid robot, like a, a, a walking legged robot and you try with rigid robot to compute every single step or like even the roughness of the terrain, you need a lot of computational power. But if you have soft legs, you don't really care about that, right? Like your robot will just kind of adapt and squish more or less the leg depending on if there's a step or not, but you are still able to work. So like your, your brain command to work doesn't really take into account the, the, the height of the step. Whereas yeah. in, in rigid robotics, you had to because your body was not doing anything. Yeah, that's excellent point. So when it comes to the environment interaction, because we have to ask how we can this anticipate this uncertainty in the environment. For you, this is a challenge about simulation too. Do you think when the tools we have, uh, maybe you need high fidelity, for example, or how do you see this kind of adaptation to different environment that we don't know anything about? So uh, that, that's, a, that's a difficult question because, um, well, at the moment, FEM technology uh, are, well, I mean, like, you said high fidelity, there are some high fidelity softwares that we can use, but they are usually pretty slow. Um, mm -hmm. And so, therefore, they are not really usable, for example, in controlling a robot. On the other end, we have some fast softwares that you can use to control a robot, but they are not really super accurate. So your control is, is kind of, it's, it's not super good, right? That's why, in my experience at least, um, model-free control is usually better than model control, just because like by learning uh, from your errors, it doesn't really matter if you have errors or not. Eventually, you will, you will, you will solve the problem by just adapting to your body. And that also works super good when you, when you damage your robot. Let's suppose that your robot was supposed to do something and now it's not supposed to do that thing anymore. If you keep recording your error and updating your policy with respect to your error, then eventually you will be able to do the task anyway, even if your robot is damaged. Yeah, that's your point, yeah. So I guess ask you, do you think maybe for your perspective about the intelligence, something you found counterintuitive, you saw in a certain way that how should work, that when you do it, maybe it's through your work or maybe as you're interested in the subject, you found it's counterintuitive. This is really, yeah, not logical to me, or maybe surprising or counterintuitive. Uh, that, that happens, like, I think 90% of the times, because you, you, you look at something uh, in nature usually, uh, mm -hmm. and then you, you, you want to copy that, and you make your own model. And then the first time you run the model, nothing works usually, because you forgot something. For example, you forgot, I don't know, the friction 
between two sliding surfaces. So you forgot, um, I don't know, you, you forgot a given, a given acceleration due to, I don't know, a fluid moving inside the chamber, right? And nothing works. But like, it's not the end of the world, right? Like if, if your model doesn't work, you have to find the error and you have to find the way to make it work. For example, like I, I remember um, lately I was working on a pump and I didn't consider the fact that two sliding surfaces had friction to it, right? And my model was frictionless and everything was working super good. And then I made the pump and the pump was not doing anything. It was just like not moving because of friction, right? And the, the obvious, the obvious uh, solution is I, I will just put oil on the surface so I don't have any friction and that the pump suddenly works. Uh, so you just have to either come up with a good model or, or, or at least try to make your physical robot as close as the simulation as can possibly be. Yeah, that's a good point as well, yeah. And when it comes to element, for example, the common sense in robotics, do you think when soft robotics, do you think how we can have this kind of common sense? Or I don't know, do you have any kind of thoughts how we can, yeah, when you think with yourself, okay, we have this morphology and brain, but still maybe the common sense or something crazy idea in that case, to create what we have with the human as well, you know, this kind of interaction. So, I mean, I, I, I kind of like crazy ideas usually, uh, because if they work, they are really, really groundbreaking. Um, in general, soft, I think in soft robotics, you really have to ask yourself if it's necessary. So mm -hmm. if the task you're trying to, to achieve, uh, if for the task you are trying to achieve, you actually need soft robotics. Uh, because soft robotics is, is, is a huge burden in terms of like how you manufacture the robot, um, how you want actually to control the robot. Uh, then the robot usually breaks down a lot of times. Um, so like if you really do not need to be soft, there is no point on being soft. But some tasks require softness 100% and those tasks cannot be achieved by rigid robotics. Uh, for example, like I will, uh, in, in automotive industry, I will never like say, oh yeah, let's put a soft robot there because they are just assembling cars and like rigid robotics does that perfectly well. But for example, if we, you want to design something that comes in, in contact with a human being, even, even an artificial organ, so a pump to replace the heart or like the, the intestine or whatever, oh, now you need to be soft because you cannot really put something rigid inside the body and hope for everything to go well because it just won't go well at all. Um, so yeah, like in, I think there's a niche in which we can operate and the soft robotics is great, but we have to be careful to not overstretch the boundary of, of that specific niche. niche. Yeah. yeah, what could be the boundaries we can, we don't really recommend stretching over if you can give concrete points. I, I mean, like any, any time that you can, you can perform the task with a simpler architecture, just go for the simpler architecture. There is no need of uh, unnecessary complexity. Yeah. Like, like for example, redundancy is good, right? But we don't really need as much redundancy as natural system. Like we don't need like 10,000 sensors. Maybe we, with two or three or four, we are able to achieve a similar performance and we don't need to implement a crazy amount of, of, of sensors inside our robot. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. So I think that's, that's a really good point. Yeah, yeah. I agree with you. Absolutely. Yeah. So maybe a student listening to you, what's something you think we have to focus more on intermittent modeling, understanding um, this phenomenon, how it works, 
if you can pinpoint something you think we have to give more uh, focus when it comes to the approaches so that we can have a deep understanding the way we develop uh, embodied intelligence in soft robotics. Do you think it's modeling maybe or what kind of thing that the key point to I, th I, th I think it's modeling. Uh, but like, I mean, like mathematical modeling, like, like when you want to achieve something, look at what you want to achieve and let's find the way, they find the set of equation that mm -hmm. will make you solve your problem. Because I, if you just start with FEM without a mathematical model first, mm -hmm. then if something goes wrong, you have no idea what to change. Um, and maybe things are working, but you have no idea why they're working. So when they break down, because they will, you have no idea how to, how to repair your mistake, right? Yeah. Like we have to start rock solid because like the field is, is, is going to screw you up at every possible turn. So like you have to, to be, to, you have to be confident on what you know. Absolutely. Yeah. And maybe I'm curious to ask you what's something still hard to understand when you try to understand what it yeah, something for your work. Hard. I didn't understand why this is happening or hard to understand. Well, non-linearities, they are incredibly hard to understand. And yeah. every time by accident, you have something that makes your system non-linear. Yeah, good luck with that. Uh, yeah, like, like it would be great if we were able to, to solve non-linear system in the same way that we solve linear system, but obviously it's not possible. So good luck with that. Yeah, I really like that you mentioned that. Do you think in nonlinear is, do you think how we can, in that perspective of embodied intelligence, do you think nonlinear can help in, in achieving something that we want? If, yeah. yeah, yeah. So like uh, in in the, okay, so going from a linear space to a nonlinear space, uh, it's super, well, it makes your system super complex, but also it gives you way more dynamics of your system. And then dynamics usually comes uh, with information. And information means that you can solve your problem. Problem is this information is not easy to, to be accessed because either you solve it in a system or you kind of, you try to find something that works, right? Um, one, one big part of soft robotics, especially self-control is reservoir computing in which we literally uh, take a set of variables and we and we make it nonlinear and we apply function to them in order to have a, a wider space, a wider space from which we, we can achieve information. The only way we actually have to control that at the moment is by using neural networks. And that is because in neural networks, you don't really need to know what's going on. You have a set of inputs, you have a set of outputs, and then in the middle, you just take your inputs and you and you make them a higher degree of dimensions, but then you don't really care about like what really is going on in the middle. And yeah, I, I think I think nonlinearities are like the good thing about soft robotics, especially in body intelligence, but also they are super difficult to understand and yeah. to model, especially to model. Yeah, thanks for saying that's a really good point. So of course it's end have a few questions. This one, what is your aspiration since you are early stage researcher and you have a lot of aspiration? When it comes to model intelligence, when you think with yourself, I, I imagine something like something like engineers or I don't know, what kind of this robot that can do this function and soft robotics maybe and have Cisco abilities. I don't know what what you what you have in your mind. Well, my, my personal aspirations are very much related uh, to healthcare, uh, but that's because uh, I I I grew up when I, mean, I got an education as a biomedical engineer before I I came I became a soft roboticist. 
Um, and so my, my dream is to use soft robotics to, to create artificial organs. Um, because as a matter of fact, at the moment, if, you're, if one of your organs just fails, your only real option is to transplant another organ. But then there are a lot of complications which are just raise the fact that that organ is not your particular one. Uh, my dream would be to be able to engineer artificial organs, uh, which have to be soft, uh, but can be made of silicon and can be made of you know, artificial material. They do not necessarily need to be made of cells uh, mm -hmm. and biological tissues. So that's, yeah, that's the dream. So good luck for that. This is really something admirable for Shank and maybe I guess what kind of maybe book inspired you and uh, maybe in other decisions on poor perspective. Uh, yeah, so what, okay, so what, what inspired me is, is pretty weird. Uh, I, I, I'm Italian and there is an Italian writer um, which, is, uh, which basically describes uh, the process of human evolution mm -hmm. and comes to the conclusion that at the moment, the human is not evolving because we invented technology and technology is making us not evolving. As a matter of fact, we are weaker than we were 100 years ago. I mean, he's, he's right, he's completely right. But I, I was super upset in high school. I remember being upset with this writer because I was like, oh yeah, I mean, you are right, but I, I really cannot stand this description of the human race, right? Um, and then I stumbled upon a, a TED talk of Professor Huger, MIT. Um, and Professor Ugar is a professor, I mean, like just Google Ugar if you already, if you mm -hmm. didn't do it yet. Um, it's a professor that lost both of his legs yeah. uh, and then decided to just build them back. And now he's a professor at MIT, he's the head of the, I think it's called the, uh, yeah, exactly, <laughs> Media Lab, MIT Media Lab, the Mechatronics Group. And like, I think, okay, yeah. And then that, that was, in my mind, that was the answer, right? It was like, yeah, we are not evolving. Who cares? We can evolve ourselves. We can just design new body parts and design new stuff to make us stronger, faster than we, uh, we, than we were 100 years ago, maybe 200 years ago, than we possibly always be. So I lost you. Hello? Hello? Uh, I think I lost yeah. Marwa. Yeah, okay, sorry, sorry, sorry. I lost sorry. this part. Uh, yeah, it's a very excellent point you mentioned. I don't know if you can repeat the professor from MIT Media. Like, oh, okay, okay, yeah, yeah. So, sorry, I lost connection for a second. No, um, no so yeah, my so this is a professor uh, that lost, uh, I think he was 18 and he lost both of the legs. Um, and then he decided to basically create the legs back and he became obviously a super good student and then a super good professor and now he engineered the legs and now he's, he's, he's working like we are with two completely artificial legs and I think that is the answer like, like engineering body part can be the next big step in evolving yeah so I mean like that's that's what drives me I really like that you're first one to say that you argue with the book and you are upset and that's something you know I really like this point that uh how a book can make you upset and think about that in a in your own way. So thank you for sharing this book recommendation. Oh, no yeah. And maybe I'm curious what could be the most important quality because when you think about inspiration from nature and what you do in work and your aspiration, what's maybe the most important quality for you as a researcher you have to maintain? I will say transversality. Like do not focus on one specific field and forget about everything else. Yeah. Especially if you want to work in robotics, uh, you have to be a 
good enough uh, mechanical engineer, you have to be a good enough control engineer. Probably you need to know a bit of chemistry. Um, so really, like, just try to learn as much as you can and keep learning about everything in, in engineering, at least, if not science, if you can. Mm -hmm. Great. And lastly, maybe what was this advice was given to you? And maybe it was a lucky change and stick to your mind and change your perspective. Maybe in embodied intelligence or soft robotics in general, as you like. This advice was given to you. Uh, I mean, it's, it's going to sound boring, but like... Uh, Every like, like do not settle. Like they like, do not think that you are arrived because you did something cool or you got a good grade, right? Mm -hmm. Just never settle. Always try to go a bit farther. Don't don't like, don't, don't be upset with yourself if you don't make it into MIT or Harvard or whatever. But try day by day to be the better version of, of yourself from yesterday and, mm -hmm. and to improve. And like a small victory at the time, you eventually reach super good results. Because it's like the goal like the, the the actual method to 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 do stuff is not having a one single great idea it's having the the consistency to have small ideas every day that's wonderful uh, i i agree with you completely on that so i don't know if you have any final words you'd like to say in this series for people listening to you any final words you'd like to say um yeah just please look at nature and, and find inspiration because it's plenty it's it's really plenty of inspiration you just need to look and then try to understand and try to, to find the good part and then reproduce that. Thanks so much, Lena. I think that was very inspiring and you're a very excellent researcher. So I appreciate your time. I appreciate it. Thanks. Thank you. Thanks. Thank so you. Much.